Sing a new song to the Lord. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to Yahweh. Praise his name. Proclaim his salvation from day to day. Declare his glory among the nations, his wonderful works among all peoples. For the Lord is great and is highly praised. He is feared above all gods. For all the gods of the peoples are idols, but the Lord made the heavens. Splendour and majesty are before him. Strength and beauty are in his sanctuary. Ascribe to the Lord, you families of the peoples. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to Yahweh the glory of his name. Bring an offering and enter his courts. Worship the Lord in the splendour of his holiness. Tremble before him, all the earth. Say among the nations, the Lord reigns. The world is firmly established. It cannot be shaken. He judges the peoples fairly. Let the heavens be glad and the earth rejoice. Let the sea and all that fills it resound. Let the fields and everything in them exult. Then all the trees of the forest will shout for joy before the Lord, for he is coming, for he is coming to judge the earth. He will judge the world with righteousness and the peoples with his faithfulness. The second reading comes from Revelation chapter 14, um, verses 1 to 7, which is on page 1134. Then I looked, and there on Mount Zion stood the Lamb, and with him were 144,000 who had his name and his father's name written on their foreheads. I heard a sound from heaven, like the sound of cascading waters, and like the rumbling of loud thunder. The sound I heard was also like harpists playing on their harps. They sang a new song before the throne, and before the four living creatures and the elders, but no one could learn the song except for the 144,000 who had been redeemed from the earth. These are the ones not defiled with women, for they, for they have kept their virginity. These are the ones who follow the Lamb wherever he goes. They were redeemed from the, from the human race as the first fruits of God and the Lamb. No lie was found in their mouths. They are blameless. Then I saw an, another angel flying high overhead, having the eternal gospel to announce to the inhabitants of the earth, to every nation, tribe, language, and people. He, sp he spoke with a loud voice, Fear God and give him glory, because the hour of his judgment has come. Worship the maker of heaven and earth, the sea and the springs of water. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Kevin Lindell. It'd be great if you can keep uh, the Bibles open to Psalm 96, that first reading, and I'm going to pray for us. Some words from Isaiah 66. This is what the Lord says. I will look favorably on this kind of person, one who is humble, submissive in spirit, and trembles at my word. Father, as we come to your word now, please uh, make us the kind of people that please you. Uh, please help us to be people who are 
humble in heart and submissive in spirit and tremble at your word. Uh, May we let you speak and not judge your word, uh, but accept it uh, in faith. Father, help me to speak faithfully and may we have ears to hear. Amen. I wonder, as, um, as you heard that psalm read, uh, did you think it was delightful or perhaps a bit demanding? Because it sounds quite delightful, doesn't it? You know, it was like, sing, 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 as be glad. Kind of this bright, happy, yellow kind of psalm. But then if you kind of paused over it and you spent a bit more time and dug in a little bit, it's quite demanding, isn't it? Because it's actually a command there, isn't it? Sing, sing the whole world. You ever come to a church and you don't particularly want to sing? You know, maybe it's and those times when it's not just, you know, you don't like the music. It's not just that you're, you're tired. It's not, it's not just anything like that. It's actually that there's nothing in your heart that wants, makes you want to sing. You can't think of a reason to sing. Well, the psalm says, too bad, sing. And who's got to sing? Well, verse 1, sing to the Lord all the earth, everyone. No one gets out of this. Not even the fish. Did you catch that? Verse 11, let the sea and all that fills it resound. In the original, that's actually much sharper. It goes like this. Heavens, be glad. Earth, rejoice. We don't want to. Too bad. Do it. It's quite demanding, this psalm. And perhaps you're sitting here this evening and you're thinking, I don't like this. This God is quite demanding. I'm feeling quite kind of uh, like I don't want to accept this demand. And yet, you can't avoid the fact that it's a delighted psalm, isn't it? It's a happy psalm. This evening, I wanted to kind of dig into that a little bit and dig into why is it so delighted? Why should we sing? Why should we be delighted? And then perhaps we'll understand why we ought to sing. I hope we get to the point where we think, we think, yeah, this is so delightful that of course I'm going to sing. Of course. So the first thing I want to do is spend some time thinking about the reason to be delighted and then move on to the delighted demand. But first, the reason for delighted singing, and it's this, Jesus reigns. So let's look. Verse 10. I think it's the key verse of the psalm. Verse 10. Say among the nations... The Lord reigns. How does he reign? Well, first, the world is firmly established. It cannot be shaken. He is the creator. And second, he judges the people fairly. He reigns as creator and as judge. Um, Now, as New Testament people, we, we understand that the Lord is the Lord Jesus. So we say the Lord Jesus reigns. And as we read in that creed, he reigns as creator and savior. Saviour and judge kind of go together in the Bible in many ways. So we're just going to look at those two things. First, creator, and then judge. So verse 10 says uh, that creation stands firm and fixed. Creation, the world around us, is like a monument to God's rule as creator. I sometimes forget that really obvious point. It's quite obvious. If God made everything, then he's wonderful and he's the boss. It's quite straightforward. But I think this is why a lot of people like the idea of the Big Bang Theory. Because they think that if there's a Big Bang, then uh, we don't need a God. You can kind of get rid of him. Um, The universe began at a singularity, uh, smaller than the head of a pin, uh, therefore we don't need God. Phew! 
that claim on me is gone. Uh, Now, I'm not a scientist anymore, really, uh, but where did the singularity come from? Uh, Stephen Hawking does the same thing in his recent book, The Grand Design. He has this line where he says, his key line, really, because there is a law such as gravity, the universe can and will create itself from nothing. Because there is a law. Is? Where did the law come from? And secondly, when did a law ever make anything? I mean, I don't know about you guys, but the last time I got a speeding ticket, it wasn't the law of the traffic that gave it to me. It was the police. You know, an agent, a person must do it. Not the law. The law doesn't do anything. Did you know that when the Big Bang Theory was, sorry, I'm ranting on about science but when the Big Bang Theory was uh, kind of first suggested back in 1927, it was the atheists that hated the idea. Because the Big Bang Theory says there's a beginning, and if there's a beginning, there must be someone who begins it. They liked the idea that the universe had always been. It always was, it always shall be. There's no creator. There's no boss. There's no one to praise. And yet, creation stands firm. It cannot be shaken. What he's saying is, Bang, here it is, folks, creation. What are you going to do with it? It's a monument to God's rule as creator. Here it is. And so actually the question we've got to ask ourselves is, well, who else is greater than God, the creator? Is there anyone more significant or splendorous or strong or creative or beautiful than the one who creates the beauty? Is there anything in your life more significant than this God who created? And so we find ourselves saying, verse 6, Splendor and majesty are before him. Strength and beauty are in his sanctuary. In his sanctuary. It's kind of talking like you're coming into the temple. And when you come into God's temple, his house, you know, the place just reeks of, of splendor and majesty and strength and beauty. This is our God our God who reigns in creation. And yet there's a bit of a tension here, isn't there? Because God's creation includes the deserts of southern Sudan, the slums of Rio de Janeiro, the rubbish heaps of Calcutta, the putrid rivers of of Port-au-Prince in Haiti, the heartless and hopeless prostitutes of Bangkok. You know, the the man so mentally disturbed that he can't live a normal life, the the seriously handicapped child, this is all part of his creation. What's gone wrong? Well, the Bible's answer to that is, we went wrong. When we, as people who are meant to look after creation, when we went after false gods and idols, when we lost connection with the true God, Everything went wrong. We're meant to steward creation, but creation got ruined by us. St. Paul, the apostle, he has um, uh, this kind of vivid uh, picture language to, to, to talk about this. He says that creation is in bondage to decay. And I, that kind of works for me as I look around me at the world. I see a world, humanity, as well as like animals, trees, whatever, kind of in bondage. It's like it's got chains around it being dragged into decay. 
And Paul also says that creation is groaning for freedom. Groaning for things to be set right. Groaning for, for, for freedom. I like that picture. You know, like, you know, the deserts of southern Sudan groaning to be this life-supporting, luscious place that it ought to be. The rivers of Port-au-Prince, Haiti, groaning to gurgle with fresh life-giving water. The broken people around us, groaning for wholeness and healing. Perhaps you know all about that because you're groaning as well. Groaning for an end to the pain and the frustration and the disappointments of life. Groaning that you might actually begin to feel rightly and and think rightly and love and act rightly. Groaning for God to set things right. Well, that actually moves us into our second point of how God rules. God rules in creation, but also in judgment. And judgment isn't just this kind of like uh, fire and brimstone idea in the Bible that we often get. Judgment is about setting things right. God reigns in that he sets things right. It's about salvation. So for Israel, Old Testament Israel, this is their psalm, Psalm 96. When they think of judgment, they're they're very happy. Uh, They've experienced God's judgment many times. When foreign nations wanted to come and devour them, but God stepped in in judgment, saving judgment, judged against this foreign nation and for his people. And so they sing, verse 2, sing to Yahweh, praise his name, proclaim his salvation from day to day. We've seen Jesus judging as well, haven't we? When he comes onto the earth and and, um, he, he sets people's bodies right, the lame, the blind, he sets them right. When he judges society, lifting up that the poor and the destitute and kind of, well, really smacking down on the rich religious people who won't lift a finger to help anyone. They were all actually kind of introductory, though. It's exactly what Jesus is on about, but they're introductory to the big thing. They are just pictures of a much deeper problem. Because Jesus knows that the whole of creation is under bondage to decay. The whole of creation is struggling under sin because of us, because of our sin. So what does Jesus do? Well, he starts again. He kind of presses the reset button. You know, back in the old days, uh, when an army went to war, a country went to war, if its king was killed, um, then it was game over. The whole army gives up. Because the king kind of represents the whole country, right? Well, Jesus, the creator of all, represents all, all things. And on behalf of all things, he was destroyed. He died on the cross. And so in a sense, all things decaying, uh, in bondage, all things were destroyed when Jesus was destroyed. In a sense, in a representative kind of way. In Jesus' judgment, when he was judged at the cross and put to death and destroyed, the judgment was cast over everything. And the judgment was, you've got nothing. This world, it is finished. It has no future. This world of decay and death and pain, finished. 
That was God's judgment on everything, our world. And yet that wasn't the end of the judgment, was it? That wasn't God's final verdict on Jesus, was it? And it wasn't his final verdict on creation either. God's final verdict on Jesus is life. New creation, new beginnings. His final judgment what was to bring Jesus back to life. And that verdict flows down to the rest of creation. His final verdict on creation is life. But not this life, not this kind of broken, sinful, decaying life. New life, a new beginning, new hope, new future. And we as Christians begin to experience that through his new life spirit in us by faith in Jesus. And the exciting news is that one day Jesus, the judge, will return and he'll, he'll complete that work of setting all things right, making things new. It's not just a, a kind of a, a wish in the sky. It's based in history, in, in his resurrection. He's done it. He'll do it again completely. He'll come and he'll set creation right. The deserts of southern Sudan, the slums of Rio de Janeiro, Calcutta will shine like the sun. Port-au-Prince, the rivers there will be wonderful swimming holes. And so jumping straight on to the next point, delighted demands. Verse 11, heavens, be glad. Earth, rejoice. Let the sea and all that fills it resound. Let the fields and everything in them exult. Then all the trees of the forest will shout for joy before the Lord. Why? For he is coming. You hear the anticipation here. For he is coming. He is coming to judge the earth. He's coming to strip off the chains of decay and set our creation free. I don't know what that day is going to be like. I can't quite imagine it in my head. When like the trees and the animals will kind of rejoice and celebrate and just bubble over with life. I don't know what it'll look like. It sounds good though. And it's not just them either, is it? It's us. We're going to be set free from the sin and the pain and the heartache and the decay. That day is coming, brothers and sisters, because the king is alive. The king reigns. Our Lord Jesus reigns. And so because Jesus reigns as creator and judge, we are called in this psalm to ascribe to him. See verse 7. Ascribe to the Lord, you families of the peoples. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to Yahweh the glory of his name. It sounds glorious, doesn't it? But does anyone know what ascribe means? Does anyone use ascribe in daily language? It's a bit of a weird word. It literally means give or offer, which sounds a bit strange. But I think what it, what it looks like for us is to kind of live as though this were absolutely true of God. He's absolutely glorious and strong. And the verses actually go on to kind of unpack what that might look like. It gives us an Old Testament picture of relationship with God. Just look at that with me halfway through verse 8. It says, bring an offering and enter his courts. So 
We're talking about Old Testament. We're talking about the temple of God. You're coming into his courts. You don't come into God's house empty-handed. Bring an offering. And it goes on. Worship the Lord in the splendor of his holiness. You've come into his temple. And just by the architecture of the place, and by the way things happen, you're thinking, this God is, he's something else. He's special. He's holy. And it's splendorous. And you find yourself, at the end of that verse, trembling before him. Trembling before this great God. And yet, welcome. Captivated. You ever had that kind of experience? Where you're kind of terrified of something, but at the same time you're really captivated. You're really kind of, you're taken in by it. Like you're kind of looking over a cliff at this amazing vista, and you're thinking, oh my goodness, this is terrifying, but it's beautiful. It's kind of like this thing that's just greater than us and grander than us, but it just kind of captures us. That's the kind of relationship that we're invited into, that our world is actually invited into, to come and know, walk in the courts of the great God, creator, judge, who is coming back to set things right to come before him with fear and trembling, and yet with a conviction that he loves us. We're welcome, and so we lay our lives down as an offering to him. Friends, our our world needs to know about this. Our world needs to know of this God, of Jesus, for its own good. Did you catch in verse 5 the problem? For all the gods of the peoples are idols. Our world worships idols. Fake gods, not the true God. Some of you have grown up with actually idols in your house. Traditional Chinese idols, or perhaps it's Hindu idols. Um, Kind of these fake gods that we expect will make us happy and provide for us. Many of you know people who worship the idol of money. If I can just get money and keep money, then I'll be happy and I'll be provided for. Or maybe it's science or relationships or experiences, whatever it is. Friends, these idols are not good. They're not gods that can offer any hope to your friends, to you. They can't offer truth. They don't actually do anything for people except kind of destroy them and put them in bondage. So verse 5 says, all the gods of the people are idols. They're not real. They just, they're terrible. Verse 5 goes on, but on the other hand, the Lord made the heavens. He actually did something. He made reality. He's the real God. And he's a wonderful God. And by his grace, we know him. And so we have wonderful news that he has taken our judgment upon himself and he's returning to judge his creation, to set it right. And you can know him. You really ought to know him. You can come into his courts with trembling delight. And And so we're told in this psalm, sing a new song to the Lord. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to Yahweh, praise his name, proclaim his salvation from day to day. And in verse 10, we're told, say among the nations, the Lord reigns. 
don't know what you guys think about singing. It's what we do as a church, as Christians. Come to church and we sing because our God is wonderful. We also sing because we want to declare this truth to anyone who walks in our doors. And do you notice we sing? We don't just say things because the medium must match the message. I assume most of you received at some point um, a wedding invitation of some kind. Um, I received a wedding invitation this week. You know who you are, who sent it to me. And it was the most incredible one I've ever seen. It was like beautiful and complicated and like, it was amazing. It was like, I had this string around. It looked like a, I don't know, it was incredible. One day I'd, I'd love to get a, um, you know, if you get, you know, if you want to ever send me one, like a wedding invitation that's just an A4 bit of paper with, you know, just aerial font, word perfect or something. No, no, that's not true. Why do people go to so much effort? Because the medium, how you announce the message, has to match the message. That's why we sing. We don't just talk. Because we want to celebrate and rejoice. It's appropriate. It's fitting. And friends, that's what we're going to be, going, going to be doing into all of eternity, right? That's what Revelation 14 said. We're singing to our God once he returns and sets all things right. Friends, to sing is to be in step with reality. To not sing is to be out of step with how things really are. Even if you're just singing in your heart. We're going to do that in just a moment. We're going to sing once again. Uh, I just want to say a few final things. uh, Because I don't think the psalm ends just with singing and just inside our church. Verse 10 says, say, just speak among the nations, the Lord reigns. We're called to share Jesus with the world. And I just want to close with two thoughts about how we do that. The first thing to say is, think of yourself not as a sales rep, but as a herald. Do you ever feel like uh, when it comes to sharing Jesus that you're kind of like a sales rep and you're trying to sell something to people? Go on, buy my product. Um, But they don't think they really need your product. And so you kind of feel like you're trying to sell a fridge to an Eskimo. Do you know what I mean? You're trying to sell razor blades to hipsters. You know, they're not interested. And so you kind of have this uphill battle. Sometimes I think actually we've swallowed our postmodern skepticism of, you know, universal truths. You know, we're quite skeptical of universal truths. Sing all the world to Yahweh. I'm not sure that's a big exclusive claim. And so we kind of back off that a little bit and we just make it an option. You could accept Jesus if you wanted. I'll tell you about the good aspects of my product. What's the gospel according to this psalm? What's the good news? The Lord reigns. That's not an offer, that's news. The Lord Jesus, the crucified one, reigns. That's the gospel. He died for you. He's coming back to judge and set things right. You ought to know him. You ought to trust in him. Think of yourself not as a sales rep, but as a herald. The second thing I want to say is sing it. Sing it. By which I don't mean go into your office tomorrow and... Yeah. 
Jesus is Lord. No, no, no. Don't do that. What I mean is speak of him in appropriate ways. Uh, allow your, your, your method, your manner to match the message. Yeah, Jesus is Lord. It's really wonderful. You know, that doesn't work. Speak thankfully. Speak joyfully. Speak in ways that honor him. Lots of, in lots of little ways. Friends, I do hope uh, that you have heard tonight once again why we can be delighted in our God. I do hope you hear these delighted demands and you think, well, of course, of course we ought to sing. Of course I ought to speak. Of course I ought to worship him. Friends, may we do that all the time, together here and each day as we go out. Um, I'm going to pray for us and then we're going to do that uh, in just a moment. Let me pray for us. Lord Jesus, you are worthy of all honor, for you created all things, and they only exist because you want them to. Father, we do want to praise you that you have not only created, but that you have saved, you have judged. We thank you so much that the judgment didn't fall upon us, but on your Son, for we could not bear it. We thank you for the hope of life, the hope that you will set all things right, we, we groan now, Lord. Please help us put our hope in that time when you return. May we celebrate that, Lord. Please fill our hearts with joy and delight as well as fear. Uh, may we sing uh, with gladness. Please help us to do that now. Amen.